Well, in the um, course of this last week, we've done several things as a church family, and some of you I haven't seen you since I've seen you in the movies. And uh, there you go. We rented out a movie theater for uh, this series that we're in called Case for Christ, and uh, we had 180 people probably in that movie theater, and uh, it was a great time to be able to watch the story of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a uh, journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He was a skeptic. In fact, he was an atheist, and his wife, Leslie, came to know Jesus Christ, and her life was changed, and he was devastated. Because his wife started to change and he believed nothing in God and Jesus Christ. And Lee Strobel set out to disprove Jesus Christ. And he figured if he could disprove Jesus Christ, then she would be able to let go of that cult that she was in. And she would be able to become what she was for him originally, who he married the first place. But what happened? Lee Strobel began to investigate the claims for Christ, and he came to find out that Jesus Christ was who he said he was, and in particular, he investigated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did somebody really come back from the dead? Is that possible? And he came to realize it was true, and he himself then made a decision to commit his life to follow Jesus Christ in the trajectory, not only their life as a couple was changed, but and wasn't that cool at the end of the movie when they showed the credits and what happened to these people in real life and their son and their daughter and the daughter was involved in that and the son was born during the video of the timeline that they were sharing. They are both now in ministry and vibrantly serving God. And you think, oh my goodness, what if they hadn't come to know Christ? What if Lee hadn't investigated the claims of Jesus Christ and for himself come to place his faith in Jesus? What would have been the trajectory? And uh, the movie was very well done. If you've not seen the movie, I encourage you to go see it. It's at a couple places, I think, around here. It's not in a lot of theaters, but uh, the movie's been well received by many people. It's not the cheesy Christian film, and uh, there's a lot in it more than just investigating the case for Christ. It also talks about a lot of real life emotions and the marriage issue that's involved in it. But thanks for coming last week to the theater down at the Temecula Mall. And uh, we were there and uh, we were able to focus in on that which we are now sort of dissecting a little bit in these weeks together back here as well as in our small groups if you want to be a part of a group. Lee Strobel uh, went on to do many things uh, following uh, his uh, commitment to follow Christ And uh, one of those was that he developed a TV program called Faith Under Fire. And in that program, Faith Under Fire, he would interview different people concerning where they were at and exploring the evidence for Christ. And uh, one of the individuals that he interviewed interviewed in particular was Hugh Hefner. Now, some of you would know who Hugh Hefner is. He uh, was uh, the person that began Playboy magazine. And he went to the Playboy mansion, the opulent mansion in Los Angeles, and sat down with Hugh Hefner and wanted to talk to him directly about his thoughts about God. And Hugh, he claimed that he had some kind of general belief that there was a God and referred to him as, the, you know, in the beginning of it all, that person or the great unknown. But Hugh Hefner in particular did not believe in the God of Christianity. Strobel brought up the resurrection of Jesus Christ to Hefner. Hefner instantly saw the supreme relevance of it, which is interesting, even though he you know, was sort of 
ambivalent about um, a Christian faith or a belief in a Christian God. He said this concerning the resurrection, Hugh Hefner. How about that for starting out Easter, huh? If one had any real evidence that indeed Jesus did return from the dead, then that is the beginning of a dropping of a series of dominoes that takes us to all kinds of wonderful things. It assures us of the afterlife and all kinds of things that we would all hope are true. Now, you're saying, you know, if resurrection really happened, then man, step back. That's a bomb because it changes so many things. That's exactly what Lee Strobel thought when he began to investigate. Did the resurrection really happen? And it's not only just with the afterlife. You think, wow, somebody comes back from the dead. Then those near-death experiences you hear about. I mean, there is something on the other side. And the one who actually came back from the dead, being in the grave three days, he's the one that could speak to it, right? But it's not just with the afterlife. It has to do with the meaning and the importance and that there's something more beyond us than just the natural world, the grunt and grind that we go through week in and week out, trying to make the bills, trying to be able to pursue a career, trying to keep the kids happy, to get them educated, to be able to make amends with people and to be able to have some sense of fulfillment in life. There's more than just that because there's more than just this life. And so you dialed into that. But he was a doubter. The rational side could not accept it. The rational side, he said this, he says, I don't think that Jesus is any more the son of God than we are. And despite the importance of the resurrection, he admitted that he had never investigated it historically as evidence for himself. What about you? Why are you here? It's Easter. We go to church on Easter. We sing songs. We that, that was so cool with the kids, wasn't it? Oh, happy day. Wow. That was great. That was great. And the innocence of it all, and then they were decked out. They were looking good. So well, you were looking pretty good today. Good job. It's Easter. We got plans. We got some Easter egg hunts. We got family activities today. But wait a second. Why are you here? Are you here because you really believe that Jesus did rise from the grave? Or are you here just out of mere tradition? And that's fine. We're glad you're here. But I want to challenge you personally where you're at in your belief with Jesus Christ. Now, we mentioned last week that this is the key question. The key question for you and I in life, if I turn it on and get her going, No. Can you help me there? Thanks. The most important decision that you will ever make in life relates to your belief in Jesus Christ and your response, whether to follow him or not. You got a lot of decisions you're making. Career decisions, education decision, mate choice decisions, right? Job promotion decisions. Decisions about how to fix your car or whether to buy a new car. I don't know how many important decisions you're making. But the most important decision, I'll just be straight up honest with you today, this will hold true through the eons of time and into eternity. The most important decision will relate to your belief in Jesus Christ and your response, whether to follow him or not. Last week, we mentioned four sticking points that happens with us. 
Number one is, I can't believe. I can't believe because that is really far-fetched. Jesus, a human being, died and he rose by himself from the grave after three days of being in a tomb. Get real. I, I just can't. Or maybe there's questions that have to do with suffering or evil in the world or other kinds of things, and you just can't comprehend it. And you say, you know, I'd like to maybe believe, but I can't believe. That's a sticking point. Or I don't want to believe was another sticking point we looked at last week. But boy, more I thought about it this week. Man, it's spot on. It's true. And the sticking point I don't want to believe is, well, there's other things going on in my life, and I think I'll just pass right now. Maybe you don't want to change a lifestyle, so there's moral issues. Maybe there's intimacy issues about getting close to a God who is a personal God, not just an absentee landlord that started it all and says, you guys have at it, I'm out of here. No, he wants to be involved in your life. Intimacy issues. Or authority issues. I just don't want somebody in charge of the world or my life. So maybe there's some sticking points on the whole thing of I don't want to believe. Another sticking point is I don't know what to believe because there's so many different things. And I hear one thing, this direction, one thing. I just get confused. I I don't know what to believe. And then I said the last is I, I, I do believe. Isn't that enough? I just have pure intellectual consent. Yeah, Jesus is who he says. I think he even rose from the grave. That's cool. But isn't that just enough to believe? I thought about it this week because I think we live in a very lethargic world as it relates to truth and what really matters. We're a very existentialistic society. You know, here and now, you know, you only go around once in life. So grab all the gusto you can kind of idea. Everybody sort of gets in this myopic viewpoint of we've got to squeeze everything out of the 70, 80 years that we have because that's sort of the main thing. It's it. And, and when it comes to things of faith and belief, we just sort of give a pass on it. So I added a sticking point this week. This was my sticking point I added. Whether I believe, I believe or not, I don't care about belief. Just lethargic, apathetic, indifferent. One of the favorite phrases today is what? Oh, whatever. Whatever. And I want to jump up and down and grab somebody by the throat and say, what do you mean, whatever? Not really. Okay. I'm I'm, I'm a really nice guy. (laughs) What's true? What's not true? And are you living your life according to truth? But no, we just sort of fan from one exciting event of life to the next, to one mundane thing, to looking for a, a way to change that mundane, myopic, temporary life that we have and what easter does it calls us out my goodness if you were there when jesus christ began to appear to people if that is indeed true wouldn't that radicalize your worldview what do you believe and are you hung up on some sticking points in life as it relates to faith We said five historical facts last week about Jesus, whether you believe them or not. Jesus is a real person who actually lived on earth. There are reliable witnesses who wrote accurate records of Jesus. There can be no doubt that Jesus claimed to be God, and Jesus said he was the only way to God and eternal life. Those were four last week. You can pick up the message online if you want. Number five is here. Jesus proved what and who he was by rising from the dead. He proved what and who he was. He claimed to be God himself. That's why they crucified him. That was blasphemous. And when he rose from the grave, 
he picked up all the authority to back up. He picked up all the proof to back up the authority by which he was teaching. There's three things that you can always look at when it comes to this um, exploring the evidence. Jesus was crucified. There was an empty tomb. And there was an Easter proclamation that he is risen. So if you want to investigate the truth or the claims for the resurrection, that's what you're looking at. Jesus was crucified. Is that true or false? There was an empty tomb, true or false? And was there the proclamation, Jesus is risen? Lee Strobel, he was on this journey. Those of you who saw the movie will remember this video clip. Those of you who didn't, I think you'll dial in. This was a part of his heart and soul journey as he went to visit, actually, a medical doctor in Laguna Beach. To dispute the most significant event in human history, and I feel it's important that we do it face to face, don't you? Yeah, that's fine. I uh, I, I appreciate your time. You. Right. So we're uh, just doing some research on the effect of stress on the hormone levels in mice, which is an ongoing project of ours. But I assure you, you shall have my undivided attention. <clears throat> Okay, I'm, then I'm just going to jump right in. Um, so my line of attack is this. The reason the eyewitnesses were able to see Jesus after Golgotha is because he never died on the cross. Because if he doesn't die, there's no resurrection. Right? That's right. So, so whether or not Jesus himself or, uh, or someone else took him off of the cross early, or if he fakes his own death, it doesn't matter. It completely discounts every aspect of the resurrection. Right, the swoon theory. Yeah, but he passed out. He didn't die. I'm afraid there's a long line of skeptics in front of you with that hypothesis. Including only a billion Muslims the world over who also don't believe that Jesus died on the cross because the Quran says so. With all due respect to Islam, the Quran was written six centuries after Christ. I prefer my historical sources a bit closer to that. I understand, but, but, but you can see that it's possible. Mm. <laughs> Mr. Strobel, I am... A medical doctor and a scientist, I have seen a great many strange phenomena in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But the swim theory is rubbish. <laughs> rubbish? That's a, is that a, a medical opinion? <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. Um, swim theorists tend to skim over the fact that Jesus was flogged prior to his crucifixion. Do you know what happens in a Roman flogging? Um, yeah, the person is lashed with a whip. No, not lashed. Scourged and pummeled savagely. You see, the, the gallied whip is braided with metal balls and bone fragments. The flesh on Jesus' back would have been shredded. The very muscles and sinews themselves laid open to exposure. The flogging itself would have left Jesus in critical condition for massive blood loss, which is why... He collapsed under the weight of the cross that the Romans made him carry the tomb. Okay, so is it possible that Jesus survives being spiked to the cross? Oh, yes, you could survive it, but it's child's play compared to what comes next in a crucifixion. Slow, agonizing death by asphyxiation. Mr. Strobel, the crucifixion of Jesus is one of the best attested events in the ancient world. There is no historical evidence of anyone, anywhere, ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Oh. And, if you will, the final nail in the coffin of the Swoon Theory is this.
When the soldiers thrust their spear between Jesus' ribs, do you know what came out? Blood and water. Which we now know is a description of pericardial effusion as a result of death by asphyxiation. This is not a condition anyone could fake. And so to answer your question, yes, it is my medical opinion that Jesus Christ died on that cross. Doctor? But, but, but... I, gotta, I have a real problem with most of the experts that I've talked to here. Which is? Which is that most of them are not impartial. And if I'm going to take a guess, I would say that you are not either. And you would be correct, sir. Though I have learned that most impartial travelers who undertake this journey rarely remain so. However, I can refer you to one of the most impartial sources that I know. Would you trust the Journal of the American Medical Association? Of course, it is a stellar scientific journal, and I will admit that. On the physical death of Jesus. <clears throat> Clearly, the weight of the medical and historical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. Doc, I gotta tell you, you're, uh, you're not telling me what I hope to hear today. Along with that uh, Medical Association Journal quote, the agnostic, who is a New Testament scholar by the name of James Tabor, says this in the Jesus Dynasty, I think we need have no doubt that given Jesus' execution by Roman crucifixion, he was truly dead. Jesus lived. Jesus died. And Jesus came back to life again. Three very specific, but yet simple facts. So, you believe he was crucified. What about the empty tomb? Well, if you investigate the empty tomb, there is that swoon theory. Oh, he didn't really die. I mean, he just sort of was revived in the tomb and the dampness, and he came out. He took that two-ton stone, rolled it away, and he came out and looked all beautiful and slipped away to his disciples, and they were all excited. No. That's not really a good explanation. Neither is the explanation that really they came up with at that time that somebody stole Jesus' body out of the tomb. Well, friends, if that was the case, you've got to know this, that the Romans didn't want this to be true. The Jewish leaders didn't want this to be true. And the disciples, they were absent. They were gone. They were fearful. They were bunkering away because they would be killed too. Their would-be Messiah was just hung on a cross. Who's going to steal the body? And if the body was stolen, there's the Jerusalem factor, which you're around Jerusalem. Everybody saw that he was crucified. Just go find the body, bring it out, and say, hey, here's your resurrected Messiah. He's dead. Somebody did not steal the body. And if they had, I'm pretty sure that the Romans would have tracked it down because of how they lived. The tomb was empty. 
women showed up at the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. Up when the sun rose at 6.15 in French Valley today, and I thought to myself, oh, the sun rose and they went to the tomb. Can you imagine? They discovered it empty. But an empty tomb didn't necessarily mean that Jesus was alive. Jesus appeared to them at that time. And she said, my Lord, my God. He revealed himself to people. You see, it's one thing to say, well, there was the empty tomb, but it was, was Jesus really alive? And that's why the Easter proclamation, and, and I knew Joe was waiting 365 days to lead you in worship to say, he is risen, and we respond, he is risen indeed. Because it's an incredible proclamation, especially on an Easter Sunday morning. He is risen. And the whole New Testament, the whole church exploded over this very simple phrase. Hey, you know, hey, he's alive. He's alive. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. And man, word got on the street and word began to move in all kinds of different directions. And they could not stop it because it was true. And there were eyewitnesses to the fact of Jesus having come back. From the grave. So, historical facts about Jesus, whether you believe him or not. He proved what and who he was by rising from the dead. He was crucified, he was buried, there was an empty tomb, and he was seen by many. Now, that testimony carried through the years, but people started to doubt it. Right away, just like some of you may doubt that today. The Apostle Paul, who was one who persecuted Jesus, who persecuted those who were following Jesus because he was a devout, devout Jewish leader. And he was upset that there was this sect happening of following after Jesus as the Messiah. He, he was radically transformed and Jesus appeared to him. And Paul would spend his time with churches throughout the Mediterranean area in that first century trying to exhort them and remind them. And you find this incredible passage in 1 Corinthians 15. We're just going to read through it. Let me now remind you, Paul says to his brothers and sisters, of the good news, the gospel I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, which means he's talking about something that happened very early on, even before he'd written this. He's got a creed that he's quoting from. The eyewitness accounts were all chronicalized, and, and the accounts that we have historically were very close to the actual resurrection of Christ. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said, because Jesus predicted it. It was a prophecy. He was seen by Peter. Look at this list. And then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Look at that whole scat of witnesses there. Isn't that incredible? If you're going to be with the Lord in heaven someday, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to going around to every one of the 500 and say, tell me, tell me what you saw. How incredible was that? What were you thinking? That, that's better real time 
TV than anything. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I, Paul, also saw him. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christian, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the dead, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection from the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. In other words, he does the Mr. T thing. I pity the fool. I pity the fool that believes in a resurrection. You're all foolish. One of the strongest cases for me for the resurrection of Christ are the lives of the eyewitnesses. Friends, Jesus taught a moral code of conduct. Why would his disciples go out and lie? That's not what he taught them. And why would they go out and uphold a lie and allow their lives to be taken because of that lie people don't die for a lie well let me clarify people don't die willingly for a lie that they know is a lie you see all the suicide bombings people kill themselves because they think if they die as a martyr they do what they get this grand experience in the heavens with allah no that's a lie. You don't die for something you willingly know is a lie. The disciples saw him. All these other hosts saw him. And do you know that the disciples' tradition says that almost all of them were martyred, either stoned or crucified? You don't do that for a lie. I pity the fool. And Paul, a number of years later, he's rather indignant about the whole thing. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul says he is the first of a great harvest of all those who died. If I told you this morning that you will never die, that you will live forever and you can have 100 percent assurance of that, would that change what you do in your life right now? Change me. It's changed many of you. If you've never seriously contemplated the resurrection of Christ and not just the resurrection of Christ to say, oh, Easter is a valid thing. But what that means to you personally, then I challenge you to do so. It'll change your life because the one who is alive wants to come into your life and change your life. Remember, remember Thomas, one of the disciples. He wasn't there in the room when Jesus first appeared to his disciples. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This is eight days later after Jesus appeared to his initial core. And this time, Thomas, one of the disciples, was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing before them, it says in John 20. And he says, peace be with you. He said, then he said to Thomas, because Thomas said he would not believe unless he saw the, the nail scars in his hands and the, and the sword pierced into his side. He said, hey, Thomas, come here. Put your finger here and look at my hand. Put your hand into my wound in my side. 
This is a strong statement. This is Jesus. He said it to Thomas. He might be saying it to you this morning. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Don't be indifferent about belief. Don't be caught up on your stuckness. Get off your stuckness, whatever direction it is. Pursue it like Lee Strobel took the initiative to pursue it. What did Thomas say? My Lord and my God. It's sort of like Lee in the movie. Uh, you know, spoiler alert here, I guess. You know, he steps back from all that he's seen on his billboard that he did. And he just simply says, all right, God, you win. That's sort of like Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. I'm not so sure that's the moment that Lee Strobel really crossed the line of faith when he said, all right, you win, God. There was belief in the inner being. My Lord and my God, that's what you and I, each of us, need to proclaim. Then Jesus told him, Blessed are those you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Who are those people? Everybody can raise their hands. That's us. We are more blessed, even than Thomas and the disciples, because we believe without physically seeing with our eyes. Lee Strobel said this, most people think that doubt is the opposite of faith, but it isn't. The opposite of faith is unbelief, which is willful refusal to believe or a deliberate decision to disobey God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to close with a song, a song that declares freedom. And they concluded We're going to look at this more next week. In this movie, Leslie Strobel sitting down with her husband, Lee. And they read John 1.12. Will you guys read this together with me? Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then this equation was put before him. Believe plus receive equals become. Your belief is necessary that Jesus was who he said he was. God himself come in the flesh, lived, died for our sins, rose from the grave, is coming again. Belief. But belief merely is not enough. You have to go beyond that and receive. It's a step of faith to receive and place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do that, you will become. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we close here this morning, I just pray if there's anybody in this room who has never taken that opportunity to place their faith and belief in you, that they would, in the quietness of their heart, just repeat a simple prayer. There's not any magic words to say. It's a disposition of the heart, but just simply pray, Lord Jesus, I repent of who I am my indifference and my lack of belief and I believe in you and I receive you into my life my Lord and my God I proclaim come into my life and from this day forward I will seek to live for you as you enable Amen Believe plus receive equals become If that's a simple prayer of your heart I encourage you on the back of your connection cards a place because I want to have spiritual growth mark that. We'd love to follow up with you. Maybe for some of you, your belief statement is a statement of baptism. Let's declare this morning the hope that we have as the ushers come and we close.